When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Yes, indeed. Hello, everyone. I'm John Lund alongside Al Renato, a.k.a. as New York sports radio fans know him, the great Al from White Plains, and this is New Report, Old Report. Here on Tuesday, October 22nd from 8 to 9 Eastern Time, live on Sports Radio America. If you missed the live show, you can catch the replay all week, also at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, or find the show's bonus content under The Bridge Sports Podcast, which you can find by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, as well as at LondonBridge.com. If you want to interact with the show, you can text in a question, comment, or complaint to 929-274-3437. Or if you're brave enough, leave a voicemail with the same, and we'll play what you have to say on air again by calling 929-274-3437. This week, the Washington Nationals and Houston Astros will play in the 2019 World Series, which means it's also eulogy time for the New York Yankees. Check your sources. We're off. Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. It has yet to disappoint, that being athletics, and why should it now in episode 55 or wherever we're at? It's been a great NFL season, and by that I mean people are still interested in the NFL season, regardless of what team is good or bad. And it's been a pretty exciting MLB postseason, albeit for me, things didn't go the way of the New York Yankees, albeit for you, things didn't go the way of the St. Louis Cardinals, but in a way, we have a decently exciting World Series, if you think about it. So for the sport itself, not the worst thing in the world, but for us, not great. So before I get going, before I lose my breath, before I rant and rave about the New York Yankees, we'll start with baseball. So again, for our listeners, fast forward a little bit, about 20 or 25 minutes, like last week. Give us a couple minutes here to just rant and rave. Before I get into my what could have been's, let's hear what you thought about this ALCS with yet another walk-off Houston Astros victory and then moving on once again to the World Series for the second time in three years. Johnny, great to be with you again. My condolences in regard to your club. Uh, I will say at least from your perspective and the Yankee fans' perspective, you competed in this ALCS, which was a, a a series that was really totally dominated by pitching, uh, two top flight offenses. When you look at the numbers in terms of the overview, they were really uh, shut down in the big picture of things. Uh, very little to speak of uh, from the offenses of either team. Uh, no real standout performers for either team, with the exception, of course, of 
Jose Altuve, the little engine you could, game-winning home run, uh, clearly the best player on the field in that series. I think the interesting thing from the perspective of the, the actual games themselves is how close the Yankees were to really putting their foots on the throats of the Astros uh, after last Saturday night they go out and they really blow them out of the building in game one uh, thanks to Gleyber Torres and the starting pitching and then they're right there in game two they are right there against Justin Verlander the future Hall of Famer it is a close game it is a tie game it is late it is a chance for the Yankees to go up 2-0 on the road in a building that they did not win two years ago in the postseason. But lo and behold, it's not to be. And uh, the star, well, I shouldn't say the star, the young shortstop, uh, maybe someday superstar, but certainly all, all the ability to be a superstar. Correa hits the walk-off home run. And really the series takes a huge 180 right there. Because instead of 2-0, potentially going back to Yankee Stadium, it is 1-1, and the Astros are really in good shape from the perspective of uh, the starting pitching because uh, one Garrett Cole is coming up, and they dodged a bullet. I really thought they dodged a bullet because the Yankees were in position and had plenty of chances in that game, and they just could not pull the trigger in a big spot. They couldn't get the big hit. No matter who was up, plenty of base runners, plenty of action. Uh, they just could not find a way to push across a run or two here and take that series really by uh, by storm and come home up two all for three straight. Lo and behold, they lose two out of three at home. And you know, back you go to Houston for a bullpen game. After you beat Verlander with four runs in the bottom of the first, solo shot by everybody's favorite New Yankee, except mine, because I can't stand the guy, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, why I can't stand him because I was wrong, because I couldn't believe they signed him and the money they spent on him, and where they're going to play him, and they did exactly what they should have done. They played him everywhere. And uh, LeMahieu had a fabulous season, and he starts the game with a knock uh, off of Verlander, and Hicks hits a three-run bomb off the foul pole. It's 4 nothing. The biggest thing about that game is Verlander was able to reassert himself, stay out there, not just eat innings, but really come back and dominate right. and get stronger and allow the bullpen to rest, which put them in really good stead for the next couple of games in the series and for the next game in the series. And then you go to the bullpen game and the Yankees vaunted bullpen green as their opener. He gives them three or bomb early. And I'll turn it over to you to go through the rest of it. But the point is, um, they had a chance. They were perilously close to going up 2-0 on the road and coming up, coming back to the stadium uh, with a chance with three in a row at home to have not go back to Houston. Uh, it wasn't to be. I thought the better team won. Uh, I think Houston is the best team in baseball. Uh, they put a great lineup on the field offensively and defensively. They have a tremendous big three, especially the big two were just outstanding. Not a great bullpen, but a decent pen. And I think that the Yankees, you know, 
found that they've got some issues. They've got some things they've got to address, not just from an offensive perspective, certainly from a starting pitching standpoint. Uh, remember, one of their starting pitchers, Herman, who had a terrific season, was not available because he was on suspension. But you also saw some of the young Yankees, the Yankees of 2017 that everybody fell in love with, not perform at a level that you would have expected by now in terms of growth whether it's Gary Sanchez, who really looks like he's taking steps backward, um, whether it's Judge, who really did not do a whole heck of a lot the entire postseason, especially in this series. The offense, the defense, the base running, really was not in this series in any way, shape, or form outstanding. Uh, it was marginal at best, and in some cases it was well below average. So I turn it over to you now, for the postmortem, uh, as the Yankees, I believe for the first time since the decade of 1910 to 1919, this decade, will not win a world championship. Yeah, not great. <laughs> Ori uh, that's original analysis, but the first and only sentence for it is really not great. And you hit the nail on the head for earlier in the series because you have to take advantage when advantage is given to you against this Houston Astros team. And Justin Verlander gave you that. He wasn't great. He was okay. He, he was what you want a starting pitcher to be. If he doesn't have his stuff, he's going to work through it, and he's going to give you more than enough innings to get to the bullpen where it's an acceptable place to go to it, and he did that in both his starts this series. But you look back at the first time he started and think, we had opportunities. Garrett Cole, quote-unquote, didn't have a great ball game, although he went seven strong, no-run-earned baseball and was phenomenal in that regard, but he wasn't Garrett Cole. He wasn't the Garrett Cole that he would lead you to believe he would want to be, which in itself is enough to say we have to beat him if he's not, quote-unquote, at his best. They could not. Now, I happen to be at the game for game four. We talked about it last week, the rain out, what was going to happen. The game gets pushed back one night. We head into the Bronx, and we get excited to watch the New York Yankees play postseason baseball, Masahiro Tanaka against Zach Greinke, a game that you need. you, you got to have this if you have a chance in the series just because he's not one of their best two pitchers. He's a tier below. Still a great pitcher, but a tier below what you have. Well, here we go. The first inning, they load the bases. He walks in a run. The place is going bananas. But you only score one run. Okay. You give up a three-run home run, which... The joke, in a sense, for this Yankees pitching staff and the adage for the postseason, as you know, Al, is give up home runs if you can, sure, but make sure nobody's on base. The old adage, no damage. You know, somebody hits a solo home run off you, well, at least nobody was on base, get the next guy. Well, now you start stringing together three-run home runs and you find yourself in some trouble. So they start doing that. Three-run home run against Tanaka, who, in a sense, you were kind of waiting for this game, unfortunately. The poor postseason game or the 
here's all the statistics coming into this game, how great he's been. He was due for a down game. There goes the three-run home run. But it's the New York Yankees in 2019 now. This lineup is a lineup where you can get away with a bad pitch, a three-run home run. No problem. We'll score the runs. We'll get back. Okay. Get to the fifth, I believe it was. They load the bases again. Now's where you make the damage. Now's where you start pecking away and getting back into this game. Glaber Torres strikes out. The life is completely sucked out of the stadium because up next is in Arcanarcion. He strikes out as well. No surprise there for how terrible of a series he had. And then you give up yet another three-run home run, and people started to leave that early into the game. We stayed till the top of the ninth. I won't lie and say we stayed the whole game. We were there till the top of the ninth, looking around. It, it was a morgue. It was, it was a crowd you would expect to see at a scranton Wilkesbury Rail Riders game when it's fireworks night on a Friday and they actually have a ton of people in the seats. It was a morgue. Everybody was gone by the eighth. People stuck around for the night and for what? We, we were thinking maybe we'll stay to the bottom of the ninth, the top of the lineup's coming up. Those are the only people that can do anything, but we got out of there, and it turns out in the top, the bottom of the ninth, they did nothing anyway. So that's the game you need to have to really make this a series because, again, now you're looking at, okay, we're going to have to beat Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole to win this thing. Granted, as you mentioned, they get to Verlander in the first inning, They do what they haven't been able to do all series, which is take advantage of runners on base, especially early in the game, get to them. You know, in Justin Verlander fashion, that's not going to get to him. And he goes on into the seventh inning without a scratch on him after that. But in the back of your mind, you're thinking, well, we do what we needed to do. We at least got enough to win the game. Perfect. And then it becomes a bullpen game. Just one hit, yeah. Verlander one hit the rest of the way after the first inning. An incredible performance, which led into the next game that Houston decided would be their quote-unquote bullpen game. Well, you didn't get to the bullpen the night before, really. You didn't put a further chink in that armor of, well, we know they're going to go a bullpen game one of these games. Let's at least get a couple pitches from these guys, see what they have to do, and and not give them the rest that they want by getting to them early. Well, they didn't do that. And not to say that that's what lost them game six, but it didn't help. Game six, it it was the same old tale. It was you give up a big home run that now you have to come back from. You eventually chip away and get to that point, but you're in an opposing building where you just – kind of have that feeling in the back of your mind if it's close it's going to go to the Houston Astros especially in 2019 LeMayhew with an incredible home run in the biggest spot of the night 10 pitch at bat ties the game you finally have some momentum we're going to put out Chapman obviously every time Chapman goes to the mound you cross your fingers and hope for the best that he's going to have control of his pitches he appears to but then walks a guy you get to Altuve And you think, don't let this guy beat you. Because, and you won't completely understand this, but I had the the fortune, Al, during this game six. I tweeted something where I felt similar to the Clay Travises of the world, the Colin Cowherds of the world, the Barstool Sports of the world, where you say something kind of in jest, but you say it in a serious way where people think that you're actually talking in real life, 
And I tweeted about the Houston Astros. And I mentioned this last week. I said, quote, the Astros have a little league lineup. Four feared batters, and the rest are bums. You can't give up a three-run home run to a bum. And obviously talking about Yuli Gurriel. And I didn't think that I needed to explain this on a platform, but I will, because people think that I was speaking in 100% legitimacy. I know the Astros are not a Little League lineup. <laughs> Folks, they're the, best, they're the best lineup in the American League. They're the best lineup in baseball. You can call batters and pitchers in one series in a seven-game simulation in that small window. You can call people bums. Edwin Encarnacion in the ALCS, bum. Giancarlo Stanton in the ALCS, bum. The bottom half of the Yankees lineup as a whole, bums. And that's what the Astros were facing for most of the series. It was George Springer, Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, Carlos Correa. Alex Superstar. Bregman was a bomb. And you know what? Quietly, quietly, he was a bum. Which was surprising. Quietly, he was a bum. But even when he would step to the plate, you would still think, this guy's going to do something against us. He had your mind all freaked out, even though he didn't have the best numbers. So you well, figure four guys. He puts the ball in play. He does. And, he, and if, if he puts the ball in play, and even if it's a fielder's choice, when he gets on the bases even, he's a threat there. He's an all-around unbelievable player for that. So I said in jest, they have four superstar players that you can't let beat you. Let everyone else beat you in a game. If Josh Reddick's going to come up and hit a solo home run, you live with it. If that left-handed DH who's 21, 22 years old comes up to the plate, who I don't think even got a hit all series, at least not as far as I can remember, bum. One hit. One hit. Let him beat you. Yuli Gurriel came to that at bat. One for 20 all series. He's a bum. One for 20. That's true. He's a bum. And you give up a home run to quote-unquote a bum. Now, I understand, and I was saying it a little bit tongue-in-cheek, all of the Astros lineup except for, like, the 8-9 guys because that series, I mean, you just prayed to get to the 8-9 slot. Chirinos and whoever else they had at 9, bums. Although, when Aaron Boone had potentially, well, I shouldn't give him the credit, James Paxson had potentially one of the top five moments of the season. Aaron Boone comes out of the dugout in the sixth inning. You think there's going to be a pitching change. The crowd is booing and owing and eyeing, and he comes out to the mound, and James Paxson says, I'm good. Let's go. Throws in a couple expletive. Let's go. Next Next pitch, pitch, three feet away from a home run, and you, um, you lose your life. You lose your soul in that moment watching the ball go out. Next pitch, can you imagine he hits that for a home run? Thankfully, he didn't, but the bottom of the lineup is trash. What I was really saying, and the same thing goes for the Yankees, is you can't let the superstars beat you. And the Yankees had the same problem. It was LeMahieu, Judge, and Glaber Torres, who you feared, and everybody else, if they beat you, you let beat you. Gio Urshela goes off in game six. Incredible game for him. Didn't do anything else the rest of the series. But if that's the game where he goes off and that's why you lose, you're okay with it. You can't let the superstars beat you. And that was my point. You can't let the superstars beat you. And who beat you in game six? Jose Altuve, who hits a walk-off home run. And there's no 
Joe Carter, Blue Jays moment, dancing around the bases. There's no Kirk Gibson, fist pumps. He walked around the bases like he would hitting a home run in April because he's thinking, this is what I do and this is what we do. This is what we are in the clutch. And he can't hate it. And for the people that looked at Araldis Chapman, who smiled after giving up the home run, a, a smile in disbelief saying, I can't believe he was smiling and this is going to be the last moment Yankees fans remember in the series, please, please. We're going to blame Araldis Chapman for giving a, a smile in disbelief after giving up the home run, like, I can't believe that just happened. Let, let's, let's blame him and poke fun at him for doing that and, and making him out to be the bad guy? Come on. The Astros were the better team, but what stings in this series is the Yankees had the opportunities in front of them to not make that the case because they're not too far behind. They're enough behind where you need the bounces to go their way. And for most of the series, it didn't feel that way. And, and that's what's disappointing to Yankees fans. And I, I put this out on Twitter, too, because people are, are rightly so focusing on the, well, they haven't made the postseason in this decade, and this team isn't great, and nobody's going to feel bad for the Yankees, obviously. But for Yankees fans... I think you can put this into a couple of different categories. For one, this wasn't the 2001 World Series. Like, like let's, let's be real. This wasn't the 2004 ALCS. Not even close to those points. I was too young for 1995 when the Mariners beat them in the ALDS. We remember the, the famous call, Griffey is coming around. That hurt. In a way, 1996 cancels that out. 1997, not great. Losing to the Cleveland Indians with Mariano Rivera on the mound. But, you know, 1998 cancels that out. 2003, not the best loss to the Marlins in the World Series, but 2000 was still close enough behind where it didn't hurt that much. But now you get into 2017, this up-and-coming Yankees team, this these underdog role, which is unexpected for a New York Yankees team. People didn't hate them, Al, if you can believe that. They lose. Then the Red Sox wiped the floor with you in 2018, and now you get an opportunity to take down the Houston Astros in 2019, put two years behind you, and it's still the same old story. So nobody's going to feel bad for the New York Yankees or their fans, nor should they. There's been more than enough success there where people would even, they would laugh heartily if you asked them to feel bad. But in the past couple years, as far as losses go for a series, this one stung a little bit because there were opportunities throughout the series where if you got the big hit, if you got the big pitching performance, if you got an unexpected, who knew that, he was going to be the player of this game, whether on the offensive or defensive side, you feel like you could have won the game. I mean, they, they have two walk-off wins, the Astros. So games in that scenario are right there for the taking just on paper. That's the disappointing part of this series is there were enough opportunities, and now you have to somewhat nitpick 
what went wrong and what needs to be fixed because I don't think there's a ton of severe changes that need to be made, but there needs to be a couple of changes that just work well in the postseason. And you know as a baseball fan, there's just some players and some situations that if you have the right chemistry, it works in October. And if you don't, like we had mentioned on this show for several weeks, they're going to get all their players back, quote-unquote, from injury. Well, one of them was Giancarlo Stanton, and unfortunately he didn't have enough time to get anything going at the plate aside from game one. He gets hurt, he's nothing. Edwin Encarnacion's bat goes cold, he's nothing. I, I, I don't even know collectively in the DH spot, it was one or two hits total, I think, for the entire series. Stan, or Sanchez comes back from the groin issue, he gets a series under his belt. You hope he's going to come back, and it never happens. His bat is cold. The entire series stands for one home run when they lost 8-3. to three. You didn't have him. The bottom of the lineup wasn't there either. The hashtag on Twitter for this Yankees team was next man up, and it worked in the regular season because you can plug and play players from your bench. You can call guys up. You can send them down. If there's an injury, they seem to be able to plug and play whenever it needed to happen. Luke Voigt, Talkman, Ford, Mabin, anytime there was a void to be filled, somebody would fill it. But as you know, when we get to the postseason, like if they took Stanton out of the lineup and brought somebody else up, well, he's out for the World Series. He's done. So they didn't want to risk that, which, you know, looking back 2020, maybe you could have. But you don't have the luxury because now teams are so obsessed with bullpens and their pitchers that they don't carry as many regular day players on their lineup. You forego that, but now you don't have the opportunity of somebody struggling to put someone else in their place, which they were able to do for the regular season. It's a little bit different in the postseason. Again, that's not an excuse, but there were several spots in the Yankees lineup that weren't producing, and unfortunately for them, it's like the old infomercial for that rotisserie oven. Set it and forget it. That's what you have to do with your postseason lineup. And if it's not there, tough luck. And that's what it was. So it's, it's going to leave a disappointing taste for all the way up until next season. Houston, very deserving. It's not like they didn't deserve to be there at all. They are the team to beat in the American League and have been for the past several years. They're going to do a great job. I, I would give them the edge in the World Series. It's going to be an incredible matchup with two teams that have incredible pitching staffs, one through three, and it's going to give us great excitement and who's going to do well on a given day. It'll be a great series in that aspect. But as a Yankees fan, you're disappointed because another year where you had your chances and for the vaunted Yankees bats, they didn't come through when they needed to. And that's, that's the story of the series. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Yeah, the, the vaunted Yankee bats is a real disappointment because there were numerous chances in huge spots to do damage. Whether it was Torres, whether it was, it was the guy you really went up there in all spots, 
or judge. Uh, Gardner, a huge disappointment. Sanchez, a mammoth disappointment, both offensively and defensively. Really has, I, I think, uh, relapsed since Joe Girardi uh, was not brought back uh, defensively. He's hurt a lot. He strikes out a ton. Hey, look, you got a catcher It's 235 with 35 homers. You know, you take that and run like a thief in the night, especially when it's a kid. But his catching has got to get better. His, re- his disabilities or inabilities as a receiver uh, the other night with, uh, you know, your prized lefty on the mound out of the pen and the in- inability to deal with that sinker uh, just puts the team in a tough spot defensively. It puts the pitcher in a tough spot where he can't go to his strength. And it seems like he is just not making any improvement whatsoever. He's got a big arm, but he just is not, I think, solid enough in his movements around the plate, his attitude behind the plate, the way he handles pitchers, the way he deals with balls in the dirt, the weight shift, uh, the movement from side to side, uh, the keeping the ball in front of you, getting it off the protector, squaring your body up to the ball which you see Yadier Molina do so often. It just doesn't seem that there's any uh, ability to do that, especially in huge spots. And when you talk so much about this team's ability offensively, it just did not show up except for the first game. And the biggest difference between these two teams to me offensively is really the biggest difference between the Astros and everybody else. The Astros have a great offense. The numbers are unbelievable, 39 home runs out of the leadoff spot and a rookie of the year with a big season, and Bregman with an MVP-style season. Uh, but what they don't do, which all the other teams do, is they don't strike out. And that, to me, is really the golden fleece. In this day and age, if you can hit the ball over the wall and not strike out, and they managed to do both. Led the major leagues, I believe, again in fewer strikeouts. They do it every year. Their best players seem to have the ability to combine power and average and put the ball in play. I believe batting average is still important. I believe it's a vehicle of putting the ball in play. I believe there's no such thing as a a good strikeout. It never helps. It's never good when the ball's not in play, when the ball's not out there making a defense move and putting runners... uh, in motion, puts more pressure on the defense. Yankee offense did not do that. Houston offense always does that. Tremendous base running throughout the series. And look, as I said earlier on the MLB network, you know, I'm a little guy, so I root for little guys. And Jose Altuve is the ultimate little guy. He's the little big man. He's the little engine that could. He was the best player on the field in this postseason uh, series. He was the walk-off guy. I would not in any way shape or form, despite the fact, and this is not a second guess, this was a first guess. When your closer lost Springer, when he couldn't get his fastball, when it was up, 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 and he walked Springer, and that brings up Altuve. Remember, they double switched or switched Brantley out of the game for defensive purpose, despite the fact that he made a marvelous defensive play, diving catch, throws back, the first to snuff out a rally and double up judge, which was a, a terrible, and I mean awful, 
for a guy who was a really sound baseball player. Really a terrible piece of base running by Aaron Judge. Plays right in front of him. You go as far as you could go toward second base with the ability to get back. He was almost to second. I thought he was stealing. When I first watched it, I said, well, he must have been going on the pitch. There's no way he would have been out by that much. Oh, no. He just, and just a fabulous didn't read play it. By, fabulous play by Brantley. Uh, the catch and coming up firing to get Judge. But the point is, he is not in that game. He switched out of the, despite the fact that he makes that incredible catch, they take him out of the game and they put Jake the Snake in. Uh, they move him to center field because he did the best center field. I'm, I am making him beat me. I am not going to throw anything remotely resembling a, pit, a hittable pitch to Jose Altuve. I agree. He's been terrific in the series. He is healthy and he can win the game and the series with either an extra base hit or a home run. Because remember, I was up first. Springer can fly. There's two away. So it doesn't even take a home run. It takes a gapper uh, with Springer and his incredible speed and base running ability that can score on a short double long single because he's off with the crack of the bat. And I just would have gone out quite simply and told Chapman, Let's move on to the next guy. Well, especially when you, you want fall to try behind and work around him. Right. You want to try and throw him fastballs up and away. I'm not throwing him a slide and it's a hittable pitch. Right. I'm just not going to do it. And I would have been fine if they just if they just said put him on. I will live with Jake Maristic beating me. Right. I will live with moving the winning run up to scoring position with Jake Maristic against Chapman. I will take my chances at that uh, with that equation any day of the week versus facing Altuve. And it bit him in the fan. Plain and simple. You know, he, he, he couldn't get his fastball over. He threw him a slider, which Altuve tracked and took. And in the postgame, said, he said, I'm sitting on a slider. I was waiting for him. He threw him another one, and the series is over. Better team won. Two big-time offensive teams that were not that offensive. Pitching dominated. Seems like they've gone back to the old baseball, not the regular season baseball. I think that's got a lot to do with it. But this was the best team all year long in the American League, slightly better than the Yankees, and this team was slightly better than the Yankees in the postseason. They're where they ought to be. They're in the World Series. The Yankees are where they ought to be, home. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. As a Yankee fan, my question to you is, what changes do you want to make to a team that is probably short on starting pitching, of which there is going to be some out there in the offseason? You are strapped pretty much, with the, the injury-prone Giancarlo Stanton. I assume you will give Encarnacion his buyout. Do you want to bring back Brett Gardner? What are you going to do with D.D. Gregorius? Is this going to be your starting third baseman next year, who had a marvelous season and did nothing in the postseason until Game 6 and had a great Game 6? And I must say, it was really the first time that he was center stage he played a fabulous third base. He can pick it with the best of them. 
Absolutely. You're about the great third baseman. This kid can really play third base. I have no problem as a Yankee fan if he's my starting third baseman next year and batting 7-3. But what do you want to do as a Yankee fan with this roster? Where do you want to turn it over? Who do you want to add? Who do you want to let walk? And what do you want to do with the starting pitcher? I think the main focus has to be on the starting pitching. And surprisingly enough, and I can't, not, I can't blame them for not doing this, but all series, you didn't hear anything about one of the arms the Yankees were missing in Domingo Herman, who would have been their starting pitcher in two of the games. Now, that's not to say he would have did well in both those games, that's not to say that they don't have the right to not mention him for what he did off the field. But you're heading into the postseason thinking you're going to have as many great starting pitchers, or at least you hope to be close to great for two of them that the Houston Astros were have. And he not being in the lineup really screwed up with a lot of that. And again, I'm not saying that he should have been there. What he did warranted what the suspension was, and he's not the reason that they lost this series for him not being in the lineup. But you have to start with the starting pitching. Just because if you put what you're good at on paper, number one's going to be the bullpen, and number two you would put as your starting lineup, three is the starting pitching. Because that's been the most unreliable thing throughout the entire season, and it proved to be the Achilles heel, no surprise in this postseason. I don't know. You've talked about it on the show, how much money Garrett Cole is going to command when he becomes a free agent. Deservedly so. 35 to 40 million. (laughs) At least. We're going to see another pitcher that they passed up in Corbin getting to play in the World Series for the Washington Nationals. Instead, they went for J.A. Happ, who, interestingly enough, in game six, that's going to be your quote-unquote bullpen game. He was not the arm to get the start in a game like that, even if you say, if he gets in trouble, we're going to go to our bullpen. It was a little bit surprising that as a starting pitcher, he didn't get that spot. But again, that's not what makes or breaks the series. First, you have to look at starting pitching. Your bullpen, you assume, Batances comes back. That's another question mark. I believe he's coming up for his contract as well. Unfortunately for him, it ends in a, a torn Achilles so he's not able to perform at the best of his ability in the brightest of lights where another team might take that chance. And then you have to get potentially nitpicky and heartbreaky with your lineup. There's some players that, unfortunately for them, and this is a terrible standard to have to hold, but it happens. When you play for the New York Yankees, and you get to the postseason, your numbers are put under a different light than other teams because you expect to get to October every single year. Well, if you're not producing in October, sometimes you have to take a hard look in the mirror and say, well, the regular season's great. I mean, you helped us get to here, but that's not the end goal. And the biggest name that sticks out to me in that example is Nick Swisher, beloved by the Yankees, deservedly so, My beloved man. in baseball. My man. Beloved in baseball. He's still the goof. He's, the he's one of the best personalities there is. But after a couple of years, there was a series he ran out to right field and got booed 
by Yankees fans because he was batting like well he 111 in the, in the series or whatever it was. Horrendous. You can be the greatest guy in the world and the greatest regular season player in the world, but when it comes to October, you're going to have to figure something out. And you mentioned Gio Rochella, and he, he did Dexter Foley, yes. Gio wasn't there offensively until game six, but he made up for it with his glove. Brilliant. Incredible play at the cock corner. Brilliant. Something that you can say for Gary Sanchez, who couldn't hit to save his life and still had terrible days behind the plate. You know, as, as a player, and you probably did this when you played, if you weren't hitting for a certain game, you think, well, I'm going to not make a mistake on defense. At least that'll bail me out this game. Let me have a hot glove, make sure I don't screw anything up on the field, so at least I'm not hitting, I'll make up for it on the field, and vice versa. You make an error, you try a little bit harder at the plate and think, well, I haven't been doing great in the game. Field-wise, let me try to make it up for it on the field, or at the plate. Geo did exactly that. Wasn't getting his hits, but Jesus, you wouldn't want anybody else out there at third base. The problem now becomes you're going to get Miguel Andujar back. Not a great third baseman. Not like Urshila is, glove-wise. Incredible hitter, but are you going to put somebody in their low 20s as your DH? Well, now you got to get rid of Encarnacion because if you're going to put him at first, well, wouldn't ship, you rather Luke Voigt? That ship has sailed. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Encarnacion can walk. There's absolutely right. no reason to pay him that full salary. You take his buyout and you bid him too. For me, the question is, what are they going to do with that infield? Because is, is Didi going to stay? Are you going to bring him back? Or do you move Torres over to short? That's the biggest question. And do you put LeMahieu back in his natural position to second base and find a first baseman? Or is Voight your first baseman? Right. Or is LeMahieu your first baseman? That, that to, to me... A lot of that depends on what they're going to do with shortstop. Are you are you confident enough for Torres to be an everyday shortstop? Right. I think the first thing you have to decide is, who is my shortstop going to be? Because then everything else revolves around that. If you're going to bring Didi back, then that means it's Torres at second. And then I'm assuming, I see no reason why, DJ LeMay wouldn't just stay at first base. Got a guy who's 320, right. 225. He needs and he's spot. not a great first baseman. He's learning the position, as you could tell. Looks like he's painting by numbers. He's serviceable. Or does Didi walk, Torres go to short? Maybe goes back to second base, where he won gold gloves in the, Ameri- in the National League. And is your returning third baseman suddenly a first baseman? Is that a possibility? So everything stays in-house in your infield. And then you decide, am I going to do anything in the outfield? Got judge. I can't do anything with the big man. He's not going to play the outfield. He's going to be a DH. And what are you going to do with Brett Gard? Hicks is signed. He's not going anywhere. Nobody's going to take him in a deal with the money he's making. And I like him. Love him defensively, love the arm, hurt too much for me, but a, a pretty good hitter in the clutch. And you always love the switch hitting ability. But, you know, he's, he's fine as one of your four outfields, if not your start. You're bringing Gardner back again? I with don't. The exception, of, 
really not a lot in the postseason. No, he, at all he was he was until awful la, until last couple last game or so awful. with a couple of knocks. A lot of strikeouts. Too many. Uncharacteristic. A lot of strikes. And they didn't use him calls, as you would think they would. Calls. There was no bunts. There was no stolen bases. There was no Brett Gardner E type plays. Especially, I forget what game it was, three or four. For whatever reason, he's batting third. Judge gets on, LeMay gets on, they both single. Here he comes up, no outs. You think for a second, and I, and I know how good he's been in the regular season power-wise and what his numbers were, but there's part of me that thinks sometimes in the postseason, and you know this, you have to change from your binders, you have to change from your analytics, and you have to feel the moment. And in that moment, for several seconds, I thought, maybe this is where they're going to bunt him to at least get one run over, assuming maybe Encarnacion coming up next will just hit one to the outfield to get a run. He, he swings through, flies out, Encarnacion pops out, and Torres ends up getting out, and you get, you get there with nothing. So it's very interesting to see what is going to be done from a restructuring point of view, remembering that these are not George Steinbrenner's Yankees, these are his son's Yankees, and they do not go out and throw... Uh, money away, although they did so with Giancarlo Stanton, who's now a player that they're saddled with, who's certainly not going to opt out his contract. Right. Um, they took on Encarnacion's contract. He's got a buyout, which I'm sure they will exercise. So it's going to be very intriguing to see what they do in the offseason, really starting um, from the infield shortstop position, you know, middle. Uh, is Sanchez going to stay your catcher or is he going to become a DH? Right. Do you trade Gary Sanchez? You put him on the block. And make Romine your catcher. Because, you know, if you're going to have Sanchez at DH, he's got two DHs. He's got a lot of DHs. A lot of DHs. Uh, and a lot of right-handed DHs. Right. They are missing that, that, you know, that prototypical left-handed bat for the stadium that they just don't have. And against the Astros, it also put them in a precarious position because the Astros are a right-handed pitching team. They do not have as, as good as their pitching is. From the starting standpoint, and obviously you know, the bullpen as well, they don't have a same flaw. They had zero left-handed pitchers on the ALCS roster, Al. You knew who was coming in. It's a righty. No yes. ifs, ands, or buts. Here comes an righty. I agree with you completely, especially starting at shortstop. And now, credit to the Astros times a thousand, they've almost formed themselves into, to make a comparison, kind of like the Warriors are, or were, you know, we don't know what this year's going to be, of Major League Baseball. They're the team to beat. You either have to look at them and say, what can we do to outlast them, as in we'll build for five, six years down the road and hope that everybody breaks this up, or what can we do to beat them now? For the Yankees, it's the Red Sox, who next year might blow everything up. We hear they want to get under the luxury tax. They're going to be saving money now all of a sudden. What's happening to the Yankees and Red Sox? That'll be for another show. They might blow everything up, but it's the Red Sox, and especially it's the Astros. What do we do to beat them? And they've got a lot of questions to have answered in the offseason with Brian Cashman now, Mr. Uh, AirPods and Hot whoever sit next to him during the, the final game. <laughs> to answer. We only got about 30 seconds of that, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was enjoyable. 
That seemed to be the sixty-four thousand dollar question. Who is who that? Is the, right. Who is that woman in the, in the tight orange skirt next to Mister Cash? And what are you listening to in your AirPods? Is it Papa Sterling and Susan, or are you listening to a podcast? We'll, we'll have uh, to I think it was, you could be listening. You could listen to the New Report Old Report, <laughs> or, or or Dan Schulman, uh, who had the best play-by-play uh, in the postseason, as he always does. He always He's just does a fantastic. marvelous announcer. Uh, he does the games for, he was doing the series for ESPN Radio. We've got like I, four minutes go, now to talk about football. If you can believe it. Well, well, I mean, why don't we just blow that off and talk about the World Series? Yeah, Let's you're make right. an all-baseball show. You're right. We deserve an all-baseball show, Al. You're 100% right. I, even though I hate the Astros in, a, again, a tongue-in-cheek way, but you have to hate somebody that beats you over and over again, I respect the hell out of them, pitching-wise and one through nine, well, you know, like one through five-wise. I think this is going to be an exciting series. I don't have I as agree. much... I don't have as much... I guess faith, as you'd say, in the Nationals lineup one through nine as compared to the Astros. But starting pitching wise on paper, I mean, it's going to be two Titans going back and forth for pretty much all of the series. There's not going to be any bullpen games and who are we going to pitch? We got three guys. Let's throw them out there against each other and see what happens. I think starting pitching-wise, if you're a baseball fan, this is one of the best matchups you can ask for in two, I shouldn't say two, two on each team, four of the best starting pitchers in the entire sport in Verlander and Cole and Scherzer and Strasburg, both going head-to-head. It's going to be unbelievable in that aspect. I, I think you can make the argument that they are the best four. I think if you look at the... American League, there's no doubt that they were the best two pitchers in the American League. We've said on this program that they should be uh, both taking on the Cy Young in the American League. And in the National League, Scherzer is uh, you know, a, a multi-Cy Young Award winner. Strasburg is a contender this year. Um, the third guy behind each one of them, Granke and the aforementioned Southpaw, uh, for the Nats are both strong. The Nets lineup, the back end is not as strong as the Astros. But the top portion of the Nets lineup is pretty darn good. It's not great. It's not great. It's not as good as the Astros. But it's got some speed. It's got some versatility. It's got some youth. It's got a superstar, MVP caliber player in the third base, Rendon, uh, who's a brilliant player, a great hitter. It's got the kid Soto, who is 20 years old, remarkable. And as I said to the guys at MLB, and as you know, considering my portion of the show, my half of the title, I go back a long way. And you can look at the Braves teams with the big three of Smoltz, Glavin, and Maddox. I should say Maddox, Smoltz, and Glavin. Glavin was the third member as far as I'm concerned. And you can look at the big two from 2001 that the D-backs rolled out there when they beat the Yankees, when they had Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling, co-MVPs, brilliant power pitchers. But, you know, the Yankees were an aging Clemens and Yusina, who, yes, is in the Hall of Fame, but neither one of them were at that stage of their career dominant the way any one of these four are. So to me, this two-on-two matchup, 
might be the matchup of the four most dominant starters at the top of their game, even though two of them are older now. Clearly, Verlander is, is aging, but had a fabulous year. Bad Max is getting along in the tooth. Didn't have his greatest year, some injuries, but still had a terrific year of you know, Cy Young capability, Cy Young possibility in the hunt. And obviously, Strasburg had a tremendous year in the mix with the Cy Young. So th- these guys are four dominant power pitchers at the height of their powers, even though two of them are at the back portion of their career, the other two right smack dab in the middle. This might be the best four-on-four matchup of power pitcher dominant starting pitching we've seen in clearly a quarter of a century, if not more. Incredibly intriguing. And coming behind them, two more quality pitchers in Granke and Corbin. So it doesn't bode well for the offenses. I think it has a chance to be a very good, solid, interesting series. With that in mind, I still like the Astros, who are a heavy favorite, and I like the Astros, and I know six is always the easy way to go. It's always the, you know, why don't you say sweep? Why don't you say five? You know, why is always six is the easy way out, Lou. So, even though I think it's going to be entertaining, even though I think it's going to be fun, and even though I think it's going to be competitive, I am going to go. With the Astros in five, I think the home field advantage is very big for them. I think they're superior offensively in their park. I think nerves may play a little bit of a role. Uh, First time for the Nats on this stage. Also, you know, rest versus rust could play a big role with the bats. Not so much pitchers love the rest. Hitters don't. So I'm going to go Nats in five. I will echo Astros in five. Well, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Everybody, enjoy your baseball. World Series, game one, tomorrow night in Houston. Until next we meet, for the big man, John Tiny on. I am Al Renato, AKL from White Plains. Have a great sports week, everybody. We'll be back next Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.